0: Welcome, this is Josh Rees with Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. For more information about our church, please visit our website, milehighchurch.org. Start out with a couple of pictures. People always say, where are the pictures of your grandchild? And so, uh, (laughs) last, uh, (laughs) so I got to do that. So last week we had a little uh, blessing ceremony for her and uh, got, our, uh, got our two families together, who are one family now. And uh, she had this epic little gown that she was wearing that her other grandmother got for her. And, uh, yeah, pretty amazing little thing. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with that. I appreciate it. Uh, so this morning I wanted to talk about uh, I wanted to talk about being real because uh, you know we uh, we are in a, a bit of a virtual world right now. We've been doing a lot of uh, meetings on Zoom, business meetings. We've been doing sacred meetings on Zoom. I've done Zoom memorials and Zoom weddings and uh, uh, Zoom baptisms and uh, so uh, we're. we're we 're kind of getting used to that virtual world, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about being real as we come back out into being around each other and now that we have to uh, put pants on to go to business meetings, I, I think that uh, things are changing, so we want to uh, so we want to look at that and where I got this um, this title uh, a couple of months ago, a book jumped into my hand as books sometimes do. Uh, by a man named uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick, who was a, a big-time minister in New York City during the kind of the 20s through the 50s. And he had uh, a very large congregation in New York uh, at the Riverside Chapel, and he also had other congregations before that, other churches. And he had his own radio show and uh, wrote a lot of books. <clears throat> so he was very, uh, very famous at the time, it was on the cover of Time magazine. And he... Um, He decided once, uh, I don't know if it was a good decision, but he decided that he wanted to get closer to the people in this congregation and to know more about them because he'd mainly been uh, the preaching guy. So he wanted to know more about them. So what he did was he said, I'm going to have regular office hours when people can come in and meet with me and um, get to know people better. And so he did. He posted his office hours and said people could come in. And um, he knew that he was in way over his head when just a couple of days in, he realized that he was talking in his office to someone who was on the edge of suicide and there were 14 other people waiting in the room outside for him. And so he said, I'm going to have to find out a little bit more about this. So uh, he consulted with other professionals, psychologists, studied about psychology, learned about psychology, and learned that we don't really know too much about it. We don't really know too much about it, about what makes us tick. And so uh, he started digging into that. He learned about people and their problems, and he started to see some similarities. And that's why he wrote this book, and this book is called On Being a Real Person, And it was about his adventures in helping people. And uh, he said, this isn't a professional text. It's just my observations about it. But one of the things I love, he said, it is our strange penchant to confront last what lies nearest. And in the practical handling of life, multitudes of people become aware of and wrestle with every conceivable factor involved in the human situation before they face their real problem, being a real person. So we know more about the stars and the way that the planets work than we know what's going on inside of us. That still seems to be a mystery. And so that's what we're working on here. In the middle of the Science of Mind textbook, Ernest Holmes talks a lot about the parables, about Jesus' parables. And one of the ones he writes about quite a bit, is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And you know that one. Uh, the younger son asks his father for his inheritance. Uh, and then he goes away and blows all of his money. Um, none of you have ever done that, I know, but some people do. Um, and so, you know, he falls into despair. And it, it says in there that he's, uh, he's fallen so low that he's feeding the pigs, in this village where he winds up, and he just has lost everything. And then it says he comes to himself. And for Holmes, and for uh, Fosdick as well, this is a big moment. This is the turning point in this story, a story that Holmes said was the, the greatest teaching story in all of religious history and teaching. He comes to himself, and then he gets back on the road back to his father's house, where he knew he had everything that he needed to start with. And I think today when we're talking about being real, that's what it's about, coming to ourselves, wherever we happen to be right now. How do we come to ourselves and realize the truth of ourselves? Realize how much already lies within us. So Fosdick wrote this book on being a real person, And he said that there are three factors that entered into the building of of a personality. Heredity, environment, and personal response. Life consists not simply in what heredity and environment do to us, but in what we make out of what they do to us. I love that. That really rings true for me. Heredity, environment, and our personal response. And certainly our family of origins have a lot to do with the Person that we are with our personality. We learn a lot in our family of origins. Uh, Not all good, some good and some bad. Um, We get a lot of our tendencies from our parents. That's why I've been teaching parenting workshops here for the last uh, 30 years. I think it's an important gig. I think we should take it seriously. And uh, I think every generation can do a little bit better. I have a a cartoon up at the wall at our house. It's on the wall and I've always loved it and I usually give a copy out to people in my workshop, especially if they have teenagers. And it's a it's a picture of a large auditorium like this. And there are just two people in the auditorium, one sitting here and one sitting over there. And above them is a giant sign that says, Welcome adult children of normal parents. Because I think all of us got stuff that we've gotten from our parents that we've inherited from them. And it can be, it can be a burden. A lot of parents can do a number on their kids. But that's a lot of what, uh, what our work is about, to heal that stuff. We're handing stuff on to our kids too. We're doing our best, but we're handing it on. That's why we have therapy. And that's why we have all these classes, so that we can move past this stuff. You know, this past week we finished up one of our classes called Self-Mastery. Bit of a pretentious title perhaps, but a beautiful class, and I love it. And we had 12 people in our class on Friday morning. And this was our last week, and people got up and did a little presentation just a few minutes about what they might have learned in the class and something that showed up in their life <clears throat> that made them feel more connected with their true self. And it was just amazing, the experience to me. All I can say was, it was just an example of being real. It felt real in the room, because people felt safe, felt that they could show up. We created a safe container where people could be real. And where we could overcome that stuff that we got from our parents. I usually tell people in the fall classes when we're moving towards the holidays, you know, you think you got this spiritual stuff. See how it goes when you go home for Thanksgiving and get with your family. (laughs) But we can overcome that. That's just part of our personality. The other thing is the environment. And we've got a lot of environment going on around us now, don't we? What an environment we're in. There is so much virtual that's going on in our environment where we can actually create a, a personality and a look and a, kind of an image for ourselves online that might not be our true self. And then we're, we're trying to protect that image. And a lot of times when you go into a restaurant, you can see people that are meeting for, each, for the first time in person. And they've interacted online, and here they are. They're meeting in person. And you can just feel that anticipation going on, like, is this who this person really is? But I think in this virtual environment that we're in, it's so important that we learn to move forward in an authentic way with who we truly are. That's what makes us attractive by being who we are. Because the third thing is our personal response. How are we going to respond To what we've been given by our parents, our story. Anybody here got a story? You do? Okay, cool. Just these two. But other people... (laughs) We all get a story. And we're here to work through it. That's why we came here, to work through our stories. In the environment where we happen to be. So that's what I want to talk about today, about being real. And I think it starts with our principles. It starts with our principles. Because here we're realizing that we are creating this world that we're gonna step into next, right now, by the way that we are. That's what our teaching is about. It's about creativity. Ernest Holmes said, we are chemists in the laboratory of divine mind. What shall we create? We are chemists in the laboratory of divine mind. That's one of our principles, that we are creative. And it comes from a perspective that we are connected with a divine mind, a divine intelligence that created all things, is still creating now, and seeks to create through us if we're open and available to it. That's one of the principles we stand on. Another is the principle of oneness, that we are all connected with this mind, all of us, regardless of who our parents were, what tribe we grew up in, what religion we happen to grow up in, that there is oneness, we are all connected And our principles are where we stand. Last Sunday we talked about the principles that this country is founded on. We talked about the principles that this teaching is founded on. And principles are the place where we not only make a stand, but we have things that we can count on. There's a great thing that I uh, I love from Stephen Covey that he said about principles. It always makes me smile. Principles don't react to anything. They don't get mad and treat us differently. They don't divorce us or run away with our best friend. They can't pave our way with shortcuts or quick fixes. They don't depend on the behavior of others, the environment, or the current fad for their validity. Principles don't die. They aren't here one day and gone the next. Principles are deep fundamental truths, classic truths, generic common denominators. They are Tightly interwoven threads running with exactness, consistency, beauty, and strength through the fabric of life. Running with beauty and strength through the fabric of life. That's what our principles give us. They're kind of a compass for us to guide ourselves as we move into this new, this new phase that we're creating. As we come out of hibernation. And this pandemic is still going on. We hear all kinds of narratives about it, but the truth is it's probably going to be years when we figure out what was really happening now. So we have to stand on our principles as we move on into the world and seek to make a difference. So as we talk about being real, I wanted to bring some points into this. And since I am a graduate of the Roger Teal Academy of Acronisms. I decided that I would use the acronym REAL. And just talk about what are some of the elements in being real. And the first is responsibility. Taking responsibility for our lives, where we are right now. That's one of the things I've always loved about this teaching right from the beginning. It's about being responsible. That's what I've always loved, that just the, the melding of uh, teaching parenting classes, love and logic parenting classes, and our science of mind teaching, because they're both about personal responsibility. And I remember hearing that responsibility cannot be taught. It can only be caught. Our kids catch it from us if we're being responsible with our lives. I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, The price of freedom is paid in the coin of responsibility. I love that. I like to bring that up sometimes when I'm talking to a teenager who wants more freedom. I'll say, what do you think this means, the price of freedom is paid in the coin of responsibility? I realize they might not like that as much as I do. (laughs) They know where I'm going, they know where I'm headed, You know, if you want more freedom, show up for your life where you are now, do the stuff that you committed to do, earn it, earn it. And I think in our world now we have the opportunity because of our virtual world to not be responsible for what we say. You can find that out if you ever go to the comments section of anything. I recommend avoiding the comments section. (laughs) That's where people usually aren't being responsible. But I think the opportunity to show up for our lives is a great part of our teaching. I think being responsible gives us a chance to evolve, to grow, and to not get stuck either in our heredity in the things we got from our parents or from this culture that we're in. The next thing I think is our energy. We're very big on being conscious of our energy around here, being positive with our energy. You know, <clears throat> last, uh, last March, March of 2020, we were all rolling along, uh, cranking at full speed, trying to keep up with the world, and then one day it just stopped. And we had to shut it all down, and we went inside our, uh, went inside our houses, and we got inside of ourselves a little bit, And during that time, for those of us that are here, we kept doing these services online, like we're doing here now. But we would come in on a Sunday, and it was just so weird to be in this giant auditorium with nobody here but us. A few ministers, musicians, singers, and our tech people. And the thing I think that made it work is the energy that people brought People stay positive. Do we know what we're doing? No, but we're going to do a good job with it. <laughs> this is new turf and we've got each other and we're going to be doing it. And that's what kept kept us going. And we could feel the energy of the people watching. You. So I want to thank you. Thank you. Cuz energy is real what we bring to every situation. We bring an energy to every situation, every room that we walk into, every person that we meet. And our energy counts. And we can either be authentic and real with our energy and be positive and expect the best. Or we can lean back and blame our problems on other people. Our energy makes a difference. Our energy makes a difference. And being authentic Makes a difference. I love that song that Jennifer just did, If We're Honest. You know, our authenticity has a lot to do with the way that we show up in the world. If we're comfortable with ourselves, if we feel okay with ourselves. One of the people that I've really loved who's spoken here a few times not with us anymore, is John Bradshaw. He had so much in the world of recovery, addiction. And he talked a lot about authenticity. And he talked about something that he called the mystified self. The mystified self. He said, the mystified self is born out of a belief that we are only lovable when we are not being ourselves. This creates feelings that are frozen. Frozen continue to express through all of our relationships until they have been embraced by us and integrated. It also creates confusion, pain, addiction, and relationships that are not based in the truth of spirit. Only lovable when we're not being ourselves. Think about that for a minute. If we want to attract people into our lives, our authenticity is what attracts them. It's what makes them feel safe around us. It's the essence of love, being authentically who we are, sharing ourselves with other people. So I think if we're gonna be real, authenticity is something we've gotta lean into. In spite of this environment we find ourselves in, we can be authentic. And the last point, and I think the most important is love the most important thing is love. You know, I got to do this little ceremony with our granddaughter last week. And it was so amazing. What a love fest. You know, and to get these two families together, and now they're one family. And what brought us together for this ceremony was just that everybody loves this little baby. And it was such an amazing gathering. And... You know, when the part came when I was blessing her and putting a little flour and water and putting it on her head, we just locked eyes. And she knew exactly what was going on. So obvious why we were there. And so obvious that she was just a magnet that pulled everybody there. And love is the power that allows us to be real, love makes us real. In the book of John in the New Testament, there's so much about love. So much about love in there and about Jesus take on love. He put it in the first position. When he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another as I have loved you, love one another. It's simple enough. But it's a difficult thing to do. We can do it in our own families. We can love, we can have that feeling when we're surrounded by family and people we're comfortable with. But can we really love one another and bring that love into the world in this next phase? Can we make our love real with our neighbors, in our cities, in our communities? Can we make that love real? It was a radical idea 2,000 years ago, and it's a radical idea now. But it's just so important. Love makes us real. I wanna finish up with a story I heard from uh, Arun Gandhi when he spoke here. Spoke here several times. He was the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. He went to India to live with with his grandfather when he was about 12 years old. He was working through some stuff, and uh, he went to live at his grandfather's ashram in India. And uh, there was a lot of poor people that lived there, very, very poor people that had been rescued from the slums, a lot of children. And Rune said that he was at the ashram one day and his grandmother had made some, uh, made some candy for one of her other grandsons that was getting ready to go back to college. She wanted him to go back Uh, with some stuff she made, because she loved him. And, uh, you know, the Mahatma comes in, had a little take on it. He said, uh, where's the candy for the other children? These are all our children. So I think uh, that's where we are now you know, expanding beyond our tribes, expanding beyond our narratives that we're comfortable with, expanding beyond our prejudices and old ideas that no longer serve us. As we move into this new, this new reality, we're creating it now. We know that. We are creating it now. Let's create it with responsibility, energy, authenticity, and love. And remember that the greatest of all is love. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give thanks for this opportunity to gather together for the love that infuses us right now, your love. Divine love. <sighs> what a blessing it is to know that you are creating through us right now. That we are indeed here to do your work, to be your hands and feet, to show up in the world. To love one another. So we commit ourselves to that this morning. That we will be real. We will be real. I give thanks for this opportunity that lies before us and for the love that lies within us. We are blessed beyond measure. For this, I give great thanks so it is. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.